Hello, everyone. This is Manny Fishman, the chair of the real estate group in Northern California for the Buckhalter Law Firm. And welcome to our first podcast for 2022. I wanted to start the year with talking about what I believe is going to be a, a big focus for this year and the years to come for commercial real estate. And that is energy consumption in commercial buildings and the push towards what is called decarbonization or net zero reliance on fossil fuels and natural gas to power office buildings. It is said that 40% of all electricity produced in the United States is consumed by commercial real estate, and energy efficiency and the push for clean energy is motivating many local municipalities and state agencies to enact legislation affecting energy consumption in office buildings, including San Francisco. I am joined today by two experts. Tom Arnold is the chief executive officer and a co-founder of Gridium, a San Francisco-based energy consulting firm that provides energy analysis software to help office and industrial building facility managers track and reduce their energy spending. Also joining us is Jonathan Kendrick, an energy and regulatory lawyer at Buckhalter in our Sacramento office. Jonathan follows rate-making proceedings and other matters before the California Public Utilities Commission and advises clients on the impact of energy regulations in real estate transactions. So great to have you both here today. Welcome. Thank you. Let's start out with the recent Climate Action Plan announced by San Francisco Mayor London Breed that was intended to jumpstart the implementation of policy goals relating to energy efficiency in San Francisco. Jonathan, can you give us the facts? What is the San Francisco Climate Action Plan and how does the plan impact commercial real estate? Uh, of course, yeah, thanks Manny, uh, glad to be here. San Francisco has some very ambitious climate action goals uh, keyed up to uh, several different sectors, uh, you know, responsible production and consumption, transportation and land use, energy supply, building operations, healthy ecosystems, and, and housing. And what they're trying to do is uh, get to net zero uh, greenhouse gas emissions by the year 2040. Uh, and so they're, they're looking at this as here's a, here are the tools that we have. These are different pathways to achieve net zero. Uh, and so one of the things that they're trying to do is uh, all new construction uh, starting as of last year is all electric. Uh, so that means you're not using gas for space heating. You're not using gas for uh, heating your water uh, on the residential side. You're not using gas to power your dryer. Electricity is going to be the fuel source that, that powers that. On existing building infrastructure, by the year 2035, their goal is to eliminate all on-site use of greenhouse gas or uh, fossil fuel uh, by 2035. And so they've set rather ambitious goals. The Climate Action Plan was their way of providing a roadmap on how to actually achieve these goals. And so on all of these different uh, items, transportation and land use, building operations, they provide uh, very concrete goals in terms of timelines to do certain actions. That's a great introduction. Um, thanks, John. Um, and I think it's important, uh, Tom, to explain as Jonathan did, that net zero really is not zero energy consumption, 
but a certain type of energy consumption. That's what net zero is, and that's what we're trying to get to. How does San Francisco fit into the overall context of what we're trying to do in California? And uh, how does Gridium assist clients in preparing for this impact? Yeah, well, let me first say that San Francisco is not the only city embarking on this. There is approximately a thousand cities around the world that have declared climate emergencies. And the trend that is occurring here is that the cities are actually promulgating these plans and codes uh, where that has usually been uh, the purview of the state or even the, the federal government. You made a really important point, which is net zero is, of course, not net zero <laughs> energy use. Uh, but if you've heard the terms electrify everything, or uh, if you're tracking sort of the decarbonization of our electric system, the basic theory is that it's much easier to work on making more and more clean electricity as we hit the goals towards 2040 and 2050 than it is to make clean gas. There's just not enough cows and landfills <laughs> to make all our cat, all our natural gas consumption uh, biogenic or are not uh, not affecting the climate. In terms of the specifics here, it's an interesting case, and we've seen this in other states where uh, the city law doesn't really match the state law, which doesn't really match the federal law. And that's a huge challenge for real estate owners and operators to try and navigate because you're trying to read the tea leaves of what is going to come in the future while you're sitting on infrastructure that you currently have. And I think this has crept in into the news recently, uh, where we saw just in the recent weeks that uh, a federal plan to have oil leases was denied by the courts because they didn't take climate impacts into effect. So the fact that municipalities and governmental agencies are getting involved, as opposed to just industry, uh, is becoming a real trend. And the conflicts that you're all going to see between local, state, and federal legislation is a real thing for building owners. But stepping back from the policy issues, let's just go to some real basic stuff. What does Gridium do to help building owners just do the block and tackle issues relating to energy consumption in buildings and moving the needle so they can comply with new legislation? Thank you, Manny. We, we serve about 3,500 buildings all across the United States. We have a very large pocket of uh, buildings in California and San Francisco in, in particular. Our energy analytics software helps building operators understanding how and when they use energy, both electricity and gas. And little small changes from an operator perspective can trim about four to six percent of, of your energy use just from the diagnostics that the software feeds the uh, feeds the engineer. If you want to go further, uh, we develop and finance a comprehensive retrofit. And typically we're looking at 30 to 50% total energy savings. That has been very successful and helps people substantially increase their energy star scores. And of course, buy less energy when the rates are sort of exploding in, in, in their trajectory upward. So uh, this is great. And, and Jonathan, let's kind of segue back to you a little bit. What are some of the obvious things that the Climate Action Plan is trying to encourage building owners to do in their buildings to move away from natural gas uh, to, um, as Tom is using the word, electrification? 
Yeah. Um, so in terms of electrifying these buildings, uh, what the Climate Action Plan really does is it, it lays out more of a legislative agenda for the city. You know, by 2023, we're going to, um, you know, have a system in place to monitor the replacement of private sector uh, natural gas fueled equipment. Uh, you know, they're going to have all of these policies developed so that right now there's no real concrete thing that the city has proposed. You know, the main thing that they're trying to do is, is really move away from the use of natural gas uh, as a fuel source in these buildings. And the main source of natural gas in our buildings is the boiler. That's correct. That's how we heat uh, our boilers. Typically, a boiler feeds a hot water system, which provides domestic space heating. And, that, and that's the major use of gas in our buildings. If just back up one second, we, we've already gone to 100% renewable. That ordinance is effective. It's, it affects different buildings depending on their size. But by this December, the largest buildings in San Francisco will always will already have to buy 100% renewable energy, and the rest of them will uh, follow in in the coming years. And that's the logic of the plan: is get everyone on 100% renewable. There's no carbon emissions, at least from an accounting perspective, on that electricity, and then start working on the natural gas piece of it. I think that's where the rubber really meets the road for building owners and managers. Uh, as we all know in the industry, building owners and managers do capital plans. They have to plan for the future and the money they're going to spend to you know, plan for their rate of return. And replacement of a boiler and undertaking capital improvements to make a building more energy efficient is a real expense. Um, and so this idea of having to no longer be able to have gas boilers is going to impact capital plans. Tom, can you speak to that? Absolutely. I, I think if you're a property manager listening to this and you should uh, change your mental model of your heating infrastructure and you should basically assume that any natural gas heating infrastructure in your building is a stranded asset. That is somewhere in the tw early 2030s, you're going to have to write this off. And I think that's a difficult pill to swallow. Um, we do make long-term capital plans. We make very long-term amortization of our capital expenses in buildings. Um, but there's no getting away from this. If this plan is effective, and if you believe that San Francisco politics are going to continue on the left side of the spectrum, we won't be able to run natural gas heating infrastructure in the city. Uh, and once you realize that, you'll find all kinds of downstream consequences. Do you want to repair your current equipment? What happens if your chief wants to replace uh, this equipment for higher efficiency equipment? How should you think about TIs? There's all these downstream issues where you need to start to think about these issues. And it's going to affect every building differently because every building is a snowflake. So you've got to really understand what you have and what your long-term plans are in terms of addressing the need to electrify heating in your building. You know, Tom mentioned the, the question of what do you have, you know, the, the time of replacement issue, right? Are you going to repair this infrastructure to keep it going? Or are you going to replace it? And one of the things, uh, you know, this climate action plan just gives some general guidelines, uh, but it doesn't really give you concrete actions as to what's going to happen, right? So what if the city passes legislation uh, when it comes to permitting uh, upgrades to your boiler, right? You might be in a situation where you would prefer to rep uh, re uh, repair it and you can't. The city won't permit it. That's exactly the case. 
Uh, there are real winners in here. There are already all electric buildings in the city. If you have an all electric building, pat yourself on the back. You don't have to worry about this at all. Um, there are buildings on the steam loop, except for the costs of steam. You don't have to worry about this at all. This is Clearway Energy's problem. They have to electrify that steam loop. You don't have to deal with it at all. Um, for, the, for the rest of uh, folks with a typical natural gas boiler setup, you kind of, or a cogent or an absorption chiller or any other natural gas based infrastructure, you're in the class where you got to pay attention to this. And that's a disappointing outcome because, of course, Real estate generally at the leasing level is a level playing field, but we have a, a policy that, that basically picks winners depending on how your building was built or when it was built. It's a great segue into real block and tackle real estate because there will be winners and losers. And where that kind of comes out is in the lease that you have with tenants. Um, what costs will you be passing through to tenants and how will you be passing them through to tenants? The old form leases of having a base year of expenses and only passing through increases to tenants may need to shift to incentivize the tenants either through, as Tom said, building out space with energy efficient tenant improvements or TIs, as Tom used the acronym, and incentivizing them through energy efficiency by uh, shifting the cost of energy on a direct basis to tenants. So I think we will see a change in leases and that's an important takeaway. And in a sense, I don't even think it's an unintended consequence. It's an intended consequence of some of this legislation. Um, and obviously the big impact is going to be the fact that energy costs are going to rise. And John, I know that's your area. Why are energy costs going to rise? And what are you seeing at the California Public Utilities Commission? Well, you know, in a vacuum and not even considering building decarbonization or electrification, uh, rates are already rising and they're, they're rising in a very significant way. Um, and, you know, I do a lot of stuff related to rate making before the Public Utilities Commission. And each of the components, right, every single time the utilities issue an advice letter, uh, saying, hey, this is, you know, what our costs have been, this is what we're predicting. And so this component of the rate needs to go up. And I mean, we're seeing double digit increase or double digit percent increases, which is not something you're used to seeing, right? You might see four or 5%, but recent advice letters have been coming from the utility. You're talking 15% increase in the component uh, that ultimately results in your rate. And some of those costs are being driven by wildfire mitigation costs. Um, they haven't fully shown up in the rates just yet, but they, they are coming. Uh, you're going to have, you know, back in 2020, we had these public safety uh, power shutoffs rolling throughout the state. Uh, in response, the Public Utilities Commission said, what can we do to strengthen our grid? Uh, so there's a lot of costs that are being uh, incurred as part of grid hardening that haven't shown up in the rates yet either. Yeah, if I can just build on that for a second, um, uh, natural gas is actually very cheap on, on a thermal equivalent basis. It doesn't have uh, the losses associated with the heat in the electric system. And, and just a rough rule of thumb, if you take natural gas at the building level and electrify that natural gas without the use of a heat pump, so maybe doing 
um, electric rehab VAV uh, boxes uh, in in the actual suites, you're looking at a 400% increase in, in actual thermal cost. So on top of the rate increases that uh, Jonathan uh, mentioned, on top of our California highest rates in the nation, uh, you also have sort of a, a massive increase in the actual costs. Now, if you can get to heat pumps, there might be an equivalency. Um, but I think there's quite some optimistic thinking on the city's part about how fast and how um, quickly we can adopt heat pump technology, especially in large buildings. Um, that's where a lot of the engineering challenges lie. There was a lot there that Tom said, and it, it's going to be difficult to unpack all of that. But I think the takeaway for, for listeners is really that the cost to produce the electricity from a thermal perspective, just the cost to produce it, is much more when you electrify buildings than if you would just use natural gas. And it leads to a really good policy question. What are we really accomplishing in electrification? Because is it really costing less to produce the energy. And I know, Tom, you think about that a lot. Yeah, I think if you have a heat pump, uh, if you have the ability to move from, say, an atmospheric boiler uh, to a heat pump in your building, yes, you are probably saving money and decarbonizing uh, uh, at the same time. If we get trapped in a situation where we're putting electric boilers in, like we have in markets like Seattle, I, I don't believe that we're actually decarbonizing. The California grid runs at roughly 430 pounds per megawatt hour. And if you just do the simple engineering calculations on a 98% efficient condensing boiler, you're actually increasing carbon emissions. So the, the, the question here is the city has used a, a, an accounting framework, if you, if you will. They're saying, hey, we're buying 100% renewable, so therefore the, the California grid has zero carbon emissions. But that's not actually true. Uh, all they've done is said that my portion of this whole pool of electricity is, is 100% renewable. So I think there's some real questions there about, are we actually decarbonizing? And then my other point is, is what is the cost of this decarbonization? If you just do some rough numbers, and every building owner um, spends $10 a foot in CapEx to electrify and another 75 cents a, a foot in operating expenses, that's an enormous cost for the real estate industry to bear at a time of great economic uncertainty. And what is the cost per ton saved? And how does that compare to other options that the city might have to decarbonize? So these are just my types of questions. And these are the questions that uh, the Energy and Environment Committee has been, uh, through BOMA, trying to ask the city as we get closer and closer to, to legislative clarity on this issue. Uh, Jonathan, can you follow up on that as well? Yeah, well, I was just going to mention, you know, the Climate Action Plan that the city released estimated that the cost of this would be around $500 million by the year 2030. I think we might actually be underestimating the cost pretty significantly, especially since the goal is all buildings by 2040 need to uh, electrify. And so, you know, I mean, I've seen city analysis in the past where they were looking at the cost of electrifying all residential. It was over $6 billion. $500 million is a big number, uh, as the city estimated it, but I don't think that's the real cost. Right now, the legislation or even the climate action plan uh, doesn't really provide incentives 
yet for building owners to comply. Even though we have a very efficient building stock, the costs involved, as you just mentioned, are going to be significant. It would be interesting to not just have a stick, but have a carrot. Yeah, I think uh, we do need help. Uh, I think two uh, ways that the city could help is one is technical assistance. I think there are lots of technical issues uh, to work out and the city hopefully will convene everybody so we can all work together and show leadership on this issue. Um, The second thing that I come back to is financing, which is if there's a regulatory mandate, it does fall down to the tenants in most leases. And if, if we can have financing programs that put those charges on the bill, this will be a lot easier for everyone to move through because you turn CapEx into OpEx. And that's a, uh, that's a very uh, good way to manage this difficult transition for everybody in, in the real estate community. Well, thank you to both of you for providing some information on uh, the importance of energy efficiency and how San Francisco is trying to take the lead in this. Uh, The two main takeaways for all of our listeners is to stay involved in this issue. This is just the beginning. And as the calendar moves forward and we see how these goals are actually implemented, as both Tom and Jonathan have said, it's going to be important to see if you're on the winner or loser side and, and to make your voice heard either through a local industry association uh, such as uh, the San Francisco Building Owners and Managers Association or through uh, other industry associations. Um, and the second uh, takeaway uh, from this is to implement some basic energy analytic solutions in your building by commissioning your systems properly. And that's where Gridium comes into play and either contact Tom or some energy, other energy consultants. But the point is that energy commissioning and putting in sensors to get real time data on how your building is using energy is very important. So thank you both to Tom and to John. Um, And for further information, there's a client alert on the Buckhalter uh, website. Uh, Just go to the main page and look at thought leadership and punch in either Jonathan's name or my name and you'll find it. So thank you both. Thank you, Manny. Thank you.